Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles, please, as we look at the idea of Christmas promises. We are now in the fourth installment of verses that kind of point to the coming of the Christ child. Matthew chapter 2 will be the text uh, that we will focus in on today. And uh, I am so thankful for this season, all, may, all the reminders about God's grace to the coming of his dear son. When we moved to Georgia some 10 years ago, uh, we noticed that we did not speak or talk like some of y'all do. We're trying to pick it up a little bit. We're slow learners, but uh, we understood that we don't say the word Atlanta like you say the word Atlanta. We said the word Atlanta, Atlanta. But uh, we found out it should be pronounced Atlanta. Atlanta. You hold that second. Atlanta. And we were uh, uh, straightened out real quick about that. And then we heard there was a town, just like a town we had in, or still have, I suppose, in Indiana, Lafayette. And I heard right away uh, that a true local doesn't say Lafayette. It's Lafayette. Lafayette, right? Am I, am I right about that? Lafayette. Is that wrong? Lafayette. Let me change the note real quick. Lafayette. Thank you. From a local. Well, see, these notes aren't inspired. See, you just, they're just not. Well, a man who used back to the story. A man who used to live in Indiana, not me, but he moved to Georgia with his family, his three daughters, and they began to pick up the lingo as they, as they lived here for a while, and it bothered him. So upon a trip back to the homeland of Indiana with his kids, they stopped in at a restaurant in Lafayette, uh, or, or something like that, uh, Indiana, and he wanted the waitress to drop in. She was, of course, from the area of Lafayette, and he said to her, I want you, dear woman, to just look my three daughters in the eye and tell them how to pronounce the place we're in. Speak slowly so they can get this. And so she leaned over and said, Burr, Gur, King. <laughs> that was poor. I'm sorry about that. Well, as, thank you. We got one. Thank you. Uh, as we begin reading today, especially this promise found in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, it is almost as if, almost as if God is either misspelling, mispronouncing a word. And let me share what that word would be as we look at it here from Hosea chapter 11. I'll see if we can get this thing to work for us. There we go. Maybe not. Let's see if there's any power in it today. <laughs> is there power? Well, it shows it. Shows it's supposed to be working. Let's keep trying. You guys may have to advance the slides for me back there. All right, let's back up again to the first few slides if we can. Oh, is, maybe it's working. Is it, did I do that? Let's, okay, yeah, we're moving now. Wrong direction, but we're moving. There we go. We've already, already talked about the theme verse for this particular series. God's not a man that he should lie. He cannot lie. He keeps his promises. We already looked at some of these wonderful promises as we have been working our way through these Christmas promises. The promises of Isaiah. 
Uh, he says in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a virgin shall conceive. We looked at that wonderful promise being fulfilled in the New Testament when God came, God with us, Emmanuel. Another promise from Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child will be born, unto us a son is given, and the government, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We followed that through the testimony of David and the promise made to David of an eternal kingdom through the line of David. We looked at that last Sunday. A king is born unto us. And we were reminded even by the visit of the wise men uh, on that early time, during the time where Jesus was born. And then today, the promise of Hosea. And here's where I thought it was a little strange, a little odd. Follow as we read Hosea 11, chapter 1, 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him, saith the prophet, and called him out of Egypt. Is that a... Does that seem odd to you? It does to me. Why is the king of kings, the king of the Jews, coming out of Egypt of all places? And today we will try to unfold the truth to that wonderful Christmas promise. When Israel was but a child, Israel there being a picture of Christ himself, we find that phrase repeated in Matthew chapter 2 where you are in verse 15. When they were departed. It says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take thy young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Father, we pray for your grace and mercy as we present again these truths that are so wonderful to see the hand of God pointing through history to the coming of Christ, and even in this what we would consider a detour, almost a misspelling of Israel itself or Ephraim. Why Egypt? Lord, we know that what you say is always true and faithful and is fulfilled in every detail. So help us to wonder at the truths of Scripture, how it all laces together and calls us to remember that the great King is here, the one who would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're grateful for the truths of the text today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible open to chapter 2 of Matthew, that's great because that's where we're going to be. And I, I rarely do this, but I want to enlarge the reading to include the whole chapter today. So follow uh, with me as we read. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem, I underlined, with him. This was not just a secret thing spoken on a street corner. All of Jerusalem was in a stir. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded, Herod demanded of them, where Christ should be born. The religious leaders said and unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah art not the least among the, uh, the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what, the ti uh, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, this old fox did, and said, Go search diligently for the young child. 
And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young, uh, or the, over the, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great and exceeding joy. And when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down, and they worshipped him. Interesting, not his mother. They worshipped the child, the Christ child. And when they'd opened their treasures, their gifts, they presented unto him these gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, here's really the, the, the portion of the text that we're going to see as a fulfillment of this prophecy or the promise made years ago, some seven year, 700 years earlier. Uh, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, <clears throat> for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and, there was, and, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children, the murder there, the massacre of the the infants that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof around Bethlehem from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was a voice heard, a lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, verse 19, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream for, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise now and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judah in the, in the room or in the stead of his father Herod, he was afraid, Archelaus being even more murderous and hurtful than his father was. He was afraid to go hither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, as we understand the story before us, it is interesting that God would take his son, God the Father would take his son and remove him out of the coasts of Israel, so to speak, into the godless land, the idolatrous land of Egypt. So let's discover this morning the great truths behind this Christmas promise, the flight to Egypt, and uh, turn to the fulfillment, of course, of this promise found for us in this wonderful text. Today, geography is important. Let me see if the, there it is, the map is up, and you'll see that uh, Egypt, of course, being south of the land of Israel a good bit. It is important to see not only these, the trade routes to get to Egypt, but how far away it could have been. Jesus' custodial father is from Nazareth. That's where the journey started. And there was, of course, the calling together for all to go home to their own um, 
cities of origin, there was a taxation or census given by the Romans. They wanted to know how to assess taxes, and so everybody had to go back to their place of birth, their custod- or the place where they were uh, a place of origin. And so from Nazareth up there, uh, you see north of the Dead Sea, Joseph took his wife, espoused wife, uh, down all the way to the city of Bethlehem in Judea, which is a good bit farther south, just about five miles south of Jerusalem. And it was there, of course, that the baby was born. And we see this wonderful story play out for us in the text before us. Uh, Again, Bethlehem being just five miles southeast of Jerusalem and Egypt. Well, Egypt is almost uh, out of the picture, so to speak, in the map that you see behind me, if you can. Yes, you can, barely. Um, uh, but there, there's a good, it could be as, as, as little as 50-mile journey, or it could be up to 500, 600 miles away, depending where in Egypt they ended up. And we do not know exactly how far. But it seems odd to me, as I was studying this text and studying this Christmas promise, that Egypt, no matter how it's spelled or pronounced, that Egypt would even show up in the text at all. Do you know that God is pretty good at hiding folks when he needs to hide them? We just studied not too long ago the story of Joash, who was hidden in the temple for seven years under the nose of Queen Athaliah. God can do these things. Who else did God hide in the Bible? We think of Moses, who God hid in a little basket under the nose of Pharaoh, right, for a while in Egypt. Then we think of David, who was really hiding out in a cave, waiting for his turn to be king. For ten years he was hiding. And Elijah, of course, was hidden by a brook for a number of days. And then, of course, we know the story of the spies that went into Jericho and were hidden on the top of a roof there, away from harm's way. God is a great, he's expert at hiding things. And it seems odd to me that God, with his own dear son, couldn't sequester him somewhere within the land of Israel and not force the parents, the humble parents, to journey some hundred to five hundred miles away to hide him in a godless place like Egypt. How's come it is that God would do that? Well, we know for sure the answer, according to historically to the text, is that there was a man in charge that did not like at all to be threatened in his leadership. King Herod was a vicious, cruel, hateful man. And when the, and when the uh, wise men, the magi, got there from the east, probably a 900-mile journey, I mentioned this on Friday night at the concert here, the Christmas concert, a 900-mile journey, the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, the main city, and they had been following not only the historical context of Daniel's writings, they had seen a, because they were astronomers, some would call them astrologers, studiers of the heavens, they had noticed an occurrence in the skies, and so they came to Jerusalem. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about what that could have been, that might have been, and, and I think we need to rule out the movement of stars, really the celestial stars, or even maybe the constellation, perhaps, of those stars, or even the idea of planets aligning themselves, although these have all been postulated. But I think God, like the Shekinah glory 
over the tabernacle in the Old Testament simply allowed this presence of a glowing orb over their sky, all the way in Persia, to lead them this glowing uh, this is my this is my best opinion, and I think a glowing orb of the Shekinah glory of God led them all the way those nine hundred miles all the way to Jerusalem. It was a cloud of fire that in the night sky was only available to be seen by eyes of belief. You say, well, why didn't everybody see that? We don't know all the answers. Much of this is indeed speculation, but we know they followed a star all the way to Jerusalem. And when they got there, now you say, how many wise men were there? Well, there could have been three. We know there were three gifts that were offered later. But I think there were more, and here's why. Not just because uh, I think there were uh, more that came to the house, but here's why I think there were more than three wise men. Now, we'll get to heaven and find out I was wrong. That's okay. Look me up. Uh, there's been many times, that's true, that I've been wrong. But that's just an admission. But here we see them, and the Bible says that when they got there, uh, that they began to check with Herod, these, these folks, and they said, we, we have been studying this, we have been looking at the heavens, we know that he's in this area, and we know that this is the time, and Micah said, where he would be born. And we've been studying the writings of Daniel, says when he will be born. We know we're here at the right time. Where is he? And the Bible says that continually, that verb saying, where is he? Saying, where is he? Where is he? They continued to ask the question where three guys on a street corner couldn't stir up a whole town. They continually moved through the city, and they were visitors to the town. I'm sure there was a great troop of them saying, where is he? And of course Herod found out that somebody was asking a question about a new king, the king of the Jews, and that was his jurisdiction. He called them in and says, what are you talking about? The whole town, according to these wise men, should have been alerted to the fact that Jesus Christ was born in this season of time, in this place, in this region, and, and certainly they were just befuddled at why nobody knew about it. It's the same thing now. He's coming, and then he's coming back. Are we excited about that? Do we care about that? Well, Herod, the old fox, lies to them. Oh, please, once you figure it out, the religious leaders said, it's going to be Bethlehem. We know that. The Messiah is coming to that region, to that city, that village. And so off they went to the village of Bethlehem, the wise men. The whole town was in a stir. And they arrived because they realized it's not close enough for us to travel 900 miles to hear that he's been born in a village that's five miles from here. We have got to go to that house. They were led by the miraculous and supernatural um, convenience convention of this glowing star, whatever that was, and it stopped right over this one particular house. Must have been interesting as the shutters were opened just a bit by Mary and Joseph, and light surrounded the whole place. And I don't know if they knocked on doors in those days or not. That's what we do in Brazil, because there are no doors in the villages. And they came to the door and here this grand conveyance and group of folks from out of town with their camels and their gifts. And they said, 
we have heard that the king of the Jews lives and has been born and is in this house. Mary knew that. Joseph knew that. But what a wonderful validation of that. And they came in and said, it's not good enough to be in Jerusalem and be close. It's not good enough to be in in, in Bethlehem and be close. It's not good enough to be in the house and see him. They worshipped him. What a wonderful testimony that is. They fell on their knees and and they began to worship as they, as they gave their gifts to Christ that night. And what a blessing it was. And of course, the Bible says that in a vision, the angels told them, the angel told them, being warned, verse 12, of God in a dream that they should not go back to, to Herod because they, uh, of course, the Lord knew Herod's evil intentions. They departed into the country another way. And so it is we see then the wonderful truth of what happens next in our in our text, and it really is a, a fulfillment of what Micah uh, said, uh, excuse me, Hosea said those many years earlier. And so I want us to see basically this morning that there are three ways to get to Egypt. The Lord said to not only the wise men, but to Mary and Joseph, you have got to go, you've got to leave, because Herod has evil intentions to kill, to destroy, was what the King James says, to destroy the Christ child. And the devil's always been about that. And you see on the map, there's a couple ways you can get to Egypt, but they, and we do not know which route they took. After the giving of the gifts, may I just say this, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were well supplied, well resourced to get to Egypt, either by donkey, by foot, by rented camel, or by boat. They could have afforded any way to get to Egypt. They were well provisioned by God's gifts to them. In fact, those gifts were a help to this young, poor, humble couple. They could have gone to Jaffa, which was just uh, to the east a little bit, excuse me, to the west just a little bit. They could have gone that way and picked up a boat. The boat goes, and I don't, uh, I don't know if this little red pointer will get there or not. Yes, it is. A boat usually travels, could have traveled to this side, Alexandria right over here uh, on that side of the, the Nile Delta. Alexandria at the time held one of the greatest communities of Jews outside of Israel. We don't know where they went. If they'd have gone that way, it would have taken them a couple days, two or three days by boat. And they were in a hurry to get out of town. They could have taken uh, the way of the sea uh, that's closer to the coast or the way of shore. We're not sure which way they took, but we know one thing. They followed the Lord. We do know that God had given them everything necessary in a simple warning to leave. And I want us to just look at two or three principles this morning uh, that would help us understand by principle some great responses to this very unusual request. Joseph, I want you to leave. They're already displaced in a sense. They've been living in the home of relatives in Bethlehem until Mary could repair and uh, recuperate from the pregnancy. And now God asked them, instead of going home, uh, Joseph, I want you to go to, of all places, Egypt. And I wanted to just share, just simply by way of three principles, some words. Father, where are you taking your son? Secondly, when do I get to come home? How long must I wait? And then why in the world are you taking us, Lord, to that part of the world? So first, Let's just consider this question that may have arisen in the mind of Joseph 
and Mary. Go to Egypt, verse 13 says, go to Egypt at, what does the Bible say? Arise, take the young child and his mother, and with haste flee into Egypt. You want to stay there, go to Egypt, stay there as long as I, as long as I tell you, and then come back at my word. You know what I appreciate about Joseph? We don't know what happens to Joseph after Jesus turns to be about 12 years of age. We do not know. He disappears off the, off the record of Scripture. But for the first 12 years, he's a, a major part in the life of Jesus. And we see that he is a man that is simply responsive to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. Four times in Joseph's life, we see him responding to a vision that he receives. Now, now we have the more sure word of Scripture. We don't have to rely on dreams and visions. But in Joseph's case, four times he gets a vision. The first time is chapter 1, verse 20, where the angel appears and says, I know there's suspicion around the pregnancy of your espoused wife, your fiancé, but I want you to marry the girl. In the face of all this suspicion about whose baby is it, I want you to marry the girl knowing this, Joseph, that the baby implanted in her womb is of divine convention. And so, Mary, and so he heard about that in a dream, and he was willing to comply. He did that. The second vision is found right in chapter 2. and We've already looked at the vision. The, 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 the angel appears in a dream. Arise and take the young child and his mother. Go to Egypt. And the second, and, or excuse me, the third and fourth visions are about his return and the earthly, uh, really the earthly residence of Jesus back in the home, uh, home country or the uh, hometown of Joseph in Nazareth. And what I like about what I love about Joseph is the yes, sir, spirit that he had. It's so refreshing. And uh, we appreciate that, that God chose on purpose this man to be the custodial father of this young child. Joseph, take your wife, go to Egypt. For Herod will seek thee, not seeking to worship, but will seek to destroy. So take the child and go of all places to Egypt. Has God ever asked you to do something that's very difficult to do? This was hard. It's very difficult. And he could have said, Lord, I don't know anybody there. I don't know the language, the culture. I don't know uh, that they even have a place of central, a place of worship or a synagogue. There may have been one in Alexandria. I don't know. There's no uh, there's no good restaurants down there. No, he could have said a lot of things. We don't know any. I don't know about the school. So I don't know anything about Egypt, but Lord, if you've told me to go there, I'll go. And it's, it doesn't really matter whether they went by boat or by donkey or by camel. We know that Joseph simply got up. Verse 14. He arose, he took the young child and his mother by night in haste and departed to of all places Egypt like Abraham did in the past God called uh, God called him to the promised land but yet there was that season of return to Egypt Isaac and Jacob also had these seasons of return to Egypt Moses went down to Egypt and you know that all of these verses in the old testament all these what i would almost call detours into Egypt were by God's divine plan and providence that 
in the Old Testament, they could be pointing and identifying the coming, future coming of the Savior. And we see these divine signposts, even in the Old Testament, of a a child that was loved by his father, a young child that would go into Egypt of all places and then come back later. Sometimes I have been stum- I have stumbled at God's big requests for me. Have you? Has God asked you to do something that really has been a difficult thing for you? Go to Egypt. For my parents, the Oklahoma farmland. God said, go to Brazil. What is God asking you to do that really comes sometimes without any explanation? Go do something that's very, very difficult. Joe and Hallie have just got back from a survey trip to Chile. They're with us this morning. I've been there just for a quick peek and Of course, I've grown up in that part of the world, South America. It wasn't a shock to me what I found there, but it's a different culture. There'll be different foods and different ways of saying things. Actually, they speak Spanish, I think. And that's a whole other language. God is asking them to do a big thing. Go to What is God asking you to do? And, And have you ever said to God, could I have a moment here of your time to maybe give you another plan that might work better. Helen Rosevere, a medical missionary to Congo, was caught up in the Mau Mau invasion. She was captured, attacked, raped, and violated. Hanging on to her faith in God sustained her through that season of time. She did survive it. She grew closer to the Lord through that horrific struggle. A godly woman, she would later ask of her co-workers a question and she asked all of this, all, all this, all of us here today, the same question. Can we trust God? Can we trust God with a bitter experience, even, listen, even if he never tells us why? Is he still God? Does he have to give you all the answers? Ask Job, who asked that question over and over. Why God? Why my children? Why this? Why me? And yet God never really told him why. Can we trust God to send us as far away as Egypt without giving us? Lord, if anybody, Joseph could have said this, if anybody can take care of himself, it's got to be. If any father in heaven can take care of his child and hide him close to the place of his origin in Bethlehem. If anybody can protect and surround and put a force field around this boy without moving him all the way to Egypt, you can. Sometimes we argue with God. Why? Why this? Why here? And I love the fact that he simply says, "At, at my word. And here's Joseph without any argumentation that we know of. He just got up, and and he went, verse 14. That brings us from the where to the when. This is another big question in life. Father, when will you bring this child back to his proper place, so to speak? And the Bible says again, Be thou there, verse 13, 
It's an interesting phrase that follows that. Angel says, be thou there. <laughs> what does that translate in our day, in our talk? Just stay there. Just be patient until the promise of God, the word of God comes to you that it's time to move. It will be sealed. The when in our life is sealed by the word of God. The angel's direction is supposed to be clear. When it comes time, the when in your life will be directed by the word of God. The Spirit of God will move you. He will keep you there and protect you and provide for you there. Even in the hard place, God will do that. How long do I have to endure this, this circumstance that I'm in? Joseph, at my word, you were married. At my word, you went to Egypt. At my word, you will know when to return. At my word, you will know where to live when you return back to the homeland. Ever tell a child this? Asking the question, Mama, how long? How long must I wait? How far is it yet to Grandma's house? How, how long do I have to sit on the couch in time out? How long do I have to sit in church listening to this long-winded preacher? Maybe you're answering that question. How long? Question all of us have asked the Lord, and here's what I love about this phrase. You stay in Egypt. Until I bring the word. I want more information, God. No? That's all you need to know. Are you going through it? Are you? How long must you stay there? How long must you endure under the thumb of a relationship or a situation or a job that you don't... You're not in a happy place. How long? Until I send my word. Be at peace. I, uh, I, I've learned a, a lesson, learning a lesson in life, to be content with where God has placed me. Even when it's not a happy place or an easy place. Until I say, here's what that, got, that, here's what that does for us. It takes the attention of the child of God off the clock and places it where it needs to be on the Word of God, the heart of God. Are you a clock watcher in your difficulties and your circumstances? Do you say, Lord, I, I'm just living for when this is over, for when you send me relief, or are you saying, Lord, at your word, I'm just looking to your face. And not the circumstances, not the clock, but Lord, I'm looking to you. And when you, you've sent me here, you will keep me here. And when it's time, you will move me to the place that you have for me. So here's what one wise pastor said about this principle. Don't go before you're called. Don't quit before you're finished. And don't stay beyond your effectiveness. Great advice, I think. They stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. It could have been months. We're not really sure how that worked out. It could have been up to four or five years. The Bible is not explicit about that. We do believe that Herod came to power in about, um, oh, around 
he died, excuse me, in 4 BC, so Christ likely was born in 6 BC. There was this endurance period in Egypt for a couple years, up to perhaps four years, three or four years, even more, is the guess of some commentators. So they stayed there. The wind was to be accomplished by the Word of God. Maybe you're in God's waiting room today asking, when, Lord, when? Like a child, how long do I have to sit here in, in your time out? <laughs> Seems like. Instead of asking that question, say, Lord, keep my eyes fixed on your face. Help me to be content with what you have given me. So number one, the where was Egypt at his word. The when was to stay in Egypt at his word. And finally, what about the why? What about, that's the question we all like to know. Why this? Why now? Why me? The answer is found for us. It's given. It's supplied in the text. Verse 15, if you'll turn your attention there, the blessed word of God, that there was, and they were there until, that's a word of timing, until the death of Herod. And then we see this very important phrase. Do you see it in your Bible? They were there until the death of Herod. Why? There's the answer. That it might be, what? Fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, this is Hosea, Hosea was written as an extreme example of God's love for a runaway wife, Gomer. And there in the midst of that wonderful story of God loving the unlovely, there was that little verse about the loved child of God coming out of Egypt. That it might be fulfilled, the sovereignty of God, that spans the entire scope of Scripture. Do you know, <laughs> beloved friend, do you know that God had a plan for his son from before this cover to, the, to beyond this cover? Did you know that? And do you know that the sovereignty of God extends to your life from beyond this cover to beyond this cover? This is the record of history, human history. But God's plan for you goes from... Eternity past to eternity yet to come. God loved you before you loved him, knew you, draw you to, drew you to himself. And so it is that everything that's happening around the birth of Christ is in fulfillment of what has already been spoken. So, was the trip to Egypt about identifying with those that had been there before, for example, Israel itself, Abraham and Moses, Jacob, who made excursions into Egypt. Was it about God identifying with them? No. Reverse that coin. It was about all these signs in the past, the, the captivity and then the redemption and then the, the trips to Egypt that God called some of his patriarchs to make, all of these things, in fact, all of the Old Testament are signs pointing to the coming of this child at Christmas. And so when Matthew says that these things were written in fulfillment, a phrase he uses 12 times in his book, and he refers to the Old Testament in Matthew over 60 times. It's all about everything in the past pointing and validating the truth that this child is indeed the Son of God. So when 
Mary and Joseph finally got the word of God to return after Herod died and they made that tenuous trip back out of Egypt. We don't know if it was months or years later, but here they came. There should have been, just like when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, there should have been a, a great cry as they came up out of the dusty roads that led from Egypt north to Nazareth, again in fulfillment of what God had said in the old. There should have been crowds of people saying, this is the what, this is the child, this is the Messiah who came and fulfilled everything that God has ever said about him. No detour was it to Egypt? No, it was in the sovereign plan of God. And we see his promises being fulfilled. That little phrase repeated, in fulfillment of, chapter 122, 25, 215, 217, 223, that phrase is repeated. Every detail of the life of Christ was promised and prophesied far in advance that we might know that this is indeed the Son of God. In your life, everything that God is doing is not helter-skelter. The choice of where you are today, the choice of the afflictions you faced, the choice of your journey in life, even though you thought, I'm in control of all this. No, everything works together for good. Every detail is controlled by the sovereign hand of a God who's not making a mistake. You say, but what about that person in my life? And what about that situation? What? Just like this lady who was a, a godly missionary who was troubled and hurt and violated. You could say, God, you see, there you stepped away from the blueprint. There you made a mistake. There! No, in every single detail, even in what we would consider a detour, God's hand is graciously leading us to his promised and desired end. So, what are we to do? We are to thank God that in everything he sends our way, he is working all things together for our best. So let's give thanks as we close this morning for a God who's sovereignly leading not only his dear son to Egypt and back, but you to a place where you can look up and say, Lord, at your word, we anticipate the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful and patient until the fulfilling of all these promises yet to be fulfilled. They will be, my dear friend, they will be. Father, thank you for the privilege it's been to look at this Christmas promise. The joy uh, that comes when we see the promise being fulfilled as it was in the life <clears throat> of your son. Lord, I pray that even though some of us may be in figuratively in Egypt this morning, in our sojourn, far away from where we'd like to be, perhaps. Lord, we must thank God for your dear hand that is providing for us even there. And Lord, I thank you for the promise that one day you will bring us home to glory, where we shall forever see your plan unfurled and unfolded before us with eyes that are glorified. Until then, help us to look and wait for your word to relish in a God that never fails or makes a mistake. Heads are bowed this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.